0: lovely welcome. Thank you for
1: welcoming us to the Alternative McTaggart Lecture. Uh, We're very, very grateful to be here. Even though the actual McTaggart Lecture was very good this year, it was John Snow, wasn't it? And uh, I think people are very pumped, is what I understand, to cross the disparity, to cross the great divide. That's what I've understood (laughs) from reading about it. So we're glad to be here. Many of you already know us, you've worked with us, you've worked with me. I apologise to you people already. (laughs) There's no point in me trying to lie to you. You know what I'm like. You've worked with me, but we're going to have a lovely little interview now, Matthew. And this yep. is where I'm going to hand over to you. We do a radio show together. It normally goes quite well. I don't remember any particularly troubling incidents in the history of that show.
0: Not when I was there.
1: Not when you were there. That's I was true. Off that week, that co-host that I had that week, he was a very talented <laughs> newcomer, but a
0: troublemaker. Okay. So you ready? When, yeah, I'm ready. When we were asked to do this. Yes. We talked about themes. You were very keen to have the theme of authenticity. I was, wasn't I? Very keen.
1: Overly enthusiastic.
0: <laughs> Do you, like so? That's since i So we started working together. What? 2001 at MTV. Mm. And you've always. I don't know if you called it authenticity at the beginning.
1: It was more like mental illness then, wasn't that it? That was that
0: was the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose and yeah, desire for authenticity. Early days might have just seemed like you were. Difficult.
1: Yeah, that's right. It did seem like difficult, I think. But it, all that it was was a real craving for authenticity <laughs> that came across as bloody difficult to produce, I think. Well, um, I suppose the reason I think that the subject of authenticity is germane and pertinent at this time is because it's uh, like a real transformative time, it seems, for television in general. And I suppose the reason that people in production and commissioners and people within networks and uh, broadcasting jobs have to work with talent is because of the idea that there is access to some authentic thing, something that might become a brilliant script or a brilliant performance or a brilliant presenter. But The trouble is, is often the vessel for this authenticity is a, a madman or in some way a pain in the arse. Now, I think like, to where this lies with what Jon Snow was saying yesterday, and, and, and like, well, the thing that I really enjoyed that he said was like when he went to Grenfell and people were going where were you, where were you, like, you know, th- mm. there is this sort of sense of disjunct that media, government, big business are this sort of regarded as one continuum, one triumvirate, like this entity itself that exists in opposition to ordinary people. Now like when it comes to just simple creative talent, you've got to work with people like you that's a writer, people like me that's a comic or an actor or whatever it is I'm doing that particular week, depending on what shoes I'm wearing or whether or not I'm trying to conjure up a revolution from, uh, resourced from my ego. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Matt once said, Matt once said when I was like about, when I think I was about 30, Matt goes, "Uh, Russell, we can't form a new system of government based on your narcissism, but (laughs) turns out he was right to a degree. But narcissism in government seems to be working rather well in America, doesn't it? So, ahead of my time, it seems.
0: Do you, so, like, you're, that, you have always had that, and you've always actually talked about revolution and stuff like that. Do you think um, you get disengaged when things are inauthentic? Because like, we've done stuff in the past where we didn't try our best. We tried our little
1: best, haven't we, like Matt? Like, well, if you think of early things we did when we were doing things on digital TV, there was a real freedom in that, like doing early stuff on MTV that was really daft. Mm. And we were watching a lot of things like Jackass and Tom Green and all those people that were like mad, shambling, shipwreck people doing stunt-based television. I, I, I really found that sort of exciting and wonderful. And the things that we did, uh, like, for example, that early series we did, Rebrand, this was years ago. We were very, very young. And in a sense, actually, I was just like an exploitable resource, wasn't I? Because yeah. was,
0: do- was He was on drugs. And <laughs> <clears throat> we, uh, the idea was psychological jackass, or jackass, however you meant to say that in an English accent. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so not like nailing your balls to something, but sort of
1: nail your mind to something. Yeah. And he was- and it was always you that came up with the ideas. Matt came up with an idea like, why don't you, like, you know, if homelessness is regarded as repugnant, the idea of the other being disgusting, why not have a bath with a homeless person? So I actually did that. Dear James, he was called. He came to live with us for a while. Obviously, he got irritated with me after a few
0: days. Preferred <laughs> he homelessness. Went back to homelessness, <laughs> he did.
1: He did, he left before the end of the shoot. He said, it's not that bad, homelessness.
0: <laughs> and he got a cab, and the cab driver said, where do you want to go? And he just said,
1: doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All the yeah. same for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but we, we were sort of, there was, I mean, there was but ideas you, they would even do. What about the one where I had do? a fight with my
1: dad? In a way, yeah. again, it was, it was weird. Like, I had a boxing match with my dad to, like, sort of tackle the idea of edible conflict. Uh, I, I Astonishingly, though, it may it seem... It was a m- draw, by the way. I think I won that on points. <laughs> but the, the, and the, the one that was, uh, the one about sexuality, where, um, like, I... Uh, Say it. Or, or manually masturbated a man to orgasm in a lavatory to test the l- parameters of my heterosexuality, which, in spite of my dress sense, are rather rigid.
0: Mm, uh, yeah, there was, one, there was some of the rejected ones. You were going to be well, she wouldn't have agreed to it, but breastfed by your mum again as an adult. She's not going to want to go through that again. <laughs> but no. I, think what, I think what looked like it sort of ended up all right that show. It ended up. I think, I think it's was on good. YouTube. But um,
1: we've got a clip of it.
0: We've got clips of it, so let's see a
1: clip. Do you want to try and do the housekeeping?
0: No, you do the housekeeping. that.
1: Okay. So this is a clip from that show, Rebrand. Now, this, in a way, it was very, very interesting because at that point, channels like UK TV would give you sort of carte blanche. It's probably like how SVOD stuff is now, where they'll trust talent and go, oh, go on, you just, you know, make Mm. this thing come back to us in six weeks and please make it worth a fortune. Right, now, this in these days, UK TV, it was like, I don't know, I think there were only about five or six people watching it. So There was really no pressure. And we did this thing with this young Nazi lad, or British National Party, as it was then called, and, you know, the, these things go round, don't they, these fashions? <laughs> um, so, like, uh, there was this lad called Mark Collette, and he was running, like, a, he went on to be quite so a still gr- a an Nazi. Yeah. He's carried on with the Nazism, normally it's a phase, isn't it? And it's funny, isn't it, because they say you get more right wing as you get older, what's he going to become? If you're a Nazi when you're a kid, where do you get to? Maybe go right round, right round, like a record and get real flower power. So this,
0: this I don't know what the actual the hook was of this one. I we know, just the, literally mm, hung out with some Nazis, didn't we? There I think the book.
1: point was, is that we think of Nazis as somehow abstract, but like, I suppose a lot of that show was, how do you feel the essence of these things? What is this boy? Why is he a Nazi? And I wanted to get to know <clears throat> yeah. him. And I think probably it was just someone that we were able to book.
0: He said, so, yeah, he was an interesting person. He, I remember when I did the pre-interview of him to see if he was you right. You did the pre-interview? Yeah, on the phone, yeah, from Vera Productions. And he said that in Star Wars, he always identified with the Empire. Well, that's not a good sign, is it? But you said, like, they've got the best ships, and they've got the best uniforms, and they've—they're safe. They've got—they're so safe, and their ships are so strong, and the rebels are just a ragtag. And <laughs> I think, <laughs> if,
1: you can't trust the Ewoks. Look at them.
0: So he's definitely, yeah.
1: You can't make everything out of wicker; it will fall apart. <laughs> Coming over here, stealing out. I don't know what you would say for an Ewok—sort mm. of cute affability. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, yeah, he was a peculiar boy, that Nazi, and it made me feel like his identity was something that he was wearing, like a garment. Like, it didn't seem real to me. It seemed almost like a fashion. It, it was wasn't... like he was
0: a local celebrity from it as well. Yeah,
1: they, the local, like, oh, there's that fucking Nazi. Like
0: they sort of knew him for it.
1: It was a confusing time for all of us, and what was I remember being delightful is that we were working at Vera, which was an incredibly right-on production, and we were doing this thing because, like, a lot of the things I've always been interested in were sociological issues, mm. truth, community, all these ideas. Of course, massively lacquered in um, egotism and narcissism. So we used to, and drug addiction. So like, we were at the offices of Vera and bringing, like, sort of I remember like sort of drug dealers coming into the to Vera offices, and they had like things pinned on the wall, like, don't eat any. Slay like Kit Kats guys, because you know, and we'd have filled the place up with crackheads and stuff. It was, it was really hard for them to marry together what they had bought into their offices. And, and the, Rory Bremner to this day does a wonderful impression of me, does he? I, I wouldn't imagine so. Sorry.
0: we have a look at the clip of Nazi of boy? Nazi boy, then. Mm. There we go, 2002.
1: Some fledgling Nazis who yeah. wor-
0: worried about
1: uh, the, the white race in the same way that you would worry about whales. That was the yeah, thing. Is, yeah. No, you've
0: got to preserve them. But you, <laughs> Freeze you, in, their eggs! In that, I mean, there's a bit where you sort of get really angry, and you were drunk, weren't you, at the time? Yes. And, but it was full of uh, authenticity because it was sort of like it was slightly dangerous and a bit. Weird, wasn't it? Because the football was on, so everyone was wearing England stuff anyway. We were in Leeds and they were all at Leeds University.
1: Well, in fact, that episode I mean, I suppose what, if there is anything that could be salvaged from that episode and from that time, it was that we were dealing with the way that sort of patriotism and nationalism bleeds into ideas about uh, ethno-nationalism and exclusion. And it, it was interesting to be around them because what I liked about it and what I continue to be interested about in, and, and for the potential of television as a medium is to legitimately and effectively be for the people that it is b- b- for, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, that we, so like, so you have them in the show. That's what I remember being sort of fascinated with is that, like, I remember one of my great, um, Slogans of the time is, it's all television, it's all television. I sort of like, you know, it was part of the madness, mm. I accept, but I sensed that there were stories everywhere, that there was sort of truth everywhere. That was the
0: thing, it was like we were on the way to a shoot that had all been planned, and then you'd be like, turn the cameras on, this, I'm starting. And it was like, well, no, we've got this, it just, we were meant to drive to Cornwall once, we never didn't leave London, because he climbed on the roof of the van and said, film this. And um, this
1: is television! Yeah. This here! Do you feel it?
0: So, they, you know, because like.
1: They stopped, they. Well, ironically, the whole thing wasn't allowed to be television because they were worried about how I kept climbing on top of vans. It was just un-
0: uninsurable, wasn't it? You are uh,
1: uninsurable. But like, as a. Good, good name for it, a new show.
0: In terms of art, though, is. Because, you know, you can't. if you wanted to just be purely authentic, then you could just go be a painter or write a novel or, you know... I suppose even then, you've got an editor and a gallery and someone.
1: Not as a performance-led... You know, like, if, you're, if what you're interested in is performance and connection, this is the difficult thing. And the reason that, you know, like, I've, over the years, needed to work with quite, I suppose, quite sensitive producers, and, like, why probably a lot of... But, you know, like, in the... I would hope that, you know, now, 20 years later,
0: that I'm a different... You are, definitely, Do you think so? I think so, yes. Honestly? You're not just
1: saying that because we're in front of potential commissioners? No.
0: (laughs) No, you are. You're completely different. I think you now understand that there's a framework there for a reason. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, even doing things like chat shows, why do I have to do a monologue at the top? Why do I have to ask them questions? Why do I have to go and watch their film? And all that stuff, which is partly bullshit, but also it's needed. And, you know, a lot of that structure, I think you now understand and accept. Because I think the, your wanting to be authentic was going everywhere. Do you know what I mean? So not just at the target, it, it was going uh, at the production of the TV show. At yeah. It was
1: authenticity Bukaki. <laughs> it was a scattergun <laughs> of, of authenticity was at the walls.
0: Yeah. Should we look at another clip? Should we look at a bit more of you? Not that you're just someone who confronts bigots, but should we look at the? West I do Brown? look like Russell Brand, bigot confronter. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Let's have a a look at the Westboro Baptist Church because that's a bit later when you'd learn.
1: Yeah, this is that TV show in the United States of America that we made FX. for FX. And you can st- still see this infatuation with authenticity and truth. But here, a rare moment actually across this series where it came together, I think, rather well. We've got representatives of the Westbury Baptist Church who, I mean, as far as pantomime villains go, are absolutely delightful. They don't, for a moment, drop their shit. You know, they stay bigoted to the to the bitter end. And and, and actually, the gay men that are there, this is, again, this uh, this inf- ongoing infatuation with authenticity. I picked these guys up in a bar on Melrose on the way to the studio like because we hadn't booked, I don't know, appropriately gay people. And I went, well, I'll get my own gays. So I went to a bar in Melrose and I sort of picked them up and hang out in that bar with them. And obviously it's like a gay bar and things happened in there that I found surprising.
0: Yeah, you told me. Sometimes I think when you do things like that, people get a bit scared, don't they? Like the product, oh no, you can't do that, We haven't got release forms We haven't got, you know. Mm. So there's always finding that balance. But let's have a look at the clip because I think it's important for your... Show your progression mm-hmm. Get right, So I think that's interesting because you're not getting angry. You're using your comedy and being silly to make the same points, essentially. but)
1: yes i think i felt very connected to the content i felt uh, excited that we had westbury baptist church there and i was excited by how truthful they were how willing they were to act like that and the naturalness of the gay men also it felt like something was actually happening in that moment i didn't feel like there was a contrivance or that i myself as the host of the show had to engineer it that terrible Mm. feeling what uh Larry David brilliantly refers to a sweaty comedy where you feel that you have to sort of inflate something that it's not really happening. I felt like oh, some stuff's happening here. All I have to do is marshal it and find a nice tone. Yeah. It was really beautiful, and like a, a lot of things I've done on television haven't quite worked. But that's one of those moments where I like, think oh,
0: that's yeah, that's what sort I of meant. Situation- it's situationism, isn't it? It's like creating a situation I think you're
1: right Matt yeah it is situationism and although that's quite a highfalutin reference to talk about Guy Debord on an FX TV show in reference to at least I think that that's you know these are the kind of things that we can source we do have access to these ideas of course our priority must be to entertain but like to follow on from some of the themes that Jon Snow was touching on yesterday is that if as a medium it seems defunct because it exists primarily in the service of its commercial sponsors or the kind of a kind of a sense of tension and fear it becomes Detached from people, it becomes detached from truth. If at whatever level of production we're working in, we're being truthful to ourselves, there is the potential for us to create moments and shows that are I think beautiful
0: and that resonate. And how important do you think confrontation is? Because like obviously obviously in though you know, like obviously with the Nazis and the Westboro Baptist Church, you're confronting them. And then later on in stuff like the truths, you know, you've sort of confronted things. But as a person you're not into confrontation, you're not comfortable doing that, so what, what pushes you to just to get things to happen?
1: Well, I think there's a dynamism in the confrontation that you witnessed there, and one of the constant laments about the present-day online media is that, it's a, that all of us exist in milieus and strands that are commonly referred to as echo chambers, but what happens when you see these components introduced, as they say, in chemistry, if two substances react at all, then both are changed forever? So when you see those two elements collide with each other, it's fascinating. And I suppose, yeah, dynamism, drama and conflict, regardless of what particular strand of television we're working in, are vital components. So that is a good question. Well
0: done. OK. I thought it was good. Um, but it wasn't, we haven't just done serious stuff. There's been silliness along the way, hasn't there?
1: We've done some really silly things over the years, Matt, haven't we? Like, I suppose there's
0: always a link to authenticity, just to keep the theme in there. but, like... I suppose all comedy, anything that's funny, has an authenticity to it, because that's why you laugh and recognition. You're quite
1: right, I mean, because I spoke to this expert in communication once, I wasn't really listening to her, no, 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 that's a joke. I I spoke to this expert in communication, and she said that laughter preceded language by millennia, millennia, millennia. And I often think that what comedy is doing is continually referencing a secondary communication that's running continually but is ignored by, say, bureaucracy yeah. or admin or whatever. But it's always there, that ability to peel back and go, there yeah. is a madness, there is a it's madness. like Tommy
0: Cooper, like you've always said, it's funny that he knows he's doing magic, but he's also at the same time thinking, this is bollocks, isn't it? This is silly, what I'm doing. This is yes, a facade.
1: It's the perfect... Being aware the, of that. Yes, Tommy Cooper is perfect, because it's like the, 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 the subtext is, all I'm trying to do is this magic show, but it keeps going wrong. That's a really lovely idea. That all he wants to do is this magic show, and he can't quite pull it off. It's a very beautiful thing because none of us can pull off our own lives. None of us can. We can't pull off our marriages and our lives and bringing up children and doing our jobs. And you know what happens in those moments when you exhale and you're alone in a toilet, and then you've got to put up the facade again, and you've got to be at a festival, and you've got to be at a conference, and you've got to do small talk in a corridor, and you've got to press flesh, and you've got to say things that's intelligent, or you've got to pretend to be a blue Peter presenter even though you're a commissioner. You've got to do oh, all of these things. We're all whole. up this facade and like sometimes it is punctured by the beautiful authenticity and truth of the finite details of our lives birth death connection. Like, and, and as much time as we spend in alignment with that truth, I think it has a great, great power and brings people together. And I think we're going to have to find a new language around these ideas, because otherwise people will respond to the apparent authenticity of figures like Donald Trump and Nigel Farage, because what they, ha- what they have is a certain type of resonance. It doesn't matter if what Trump's saying isn't true. The way he says it seems truthful when compared to Hillary Clinton, and we have seen the results.
0: Hmm. So Ponderland. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it, so Ponderland. You, so uh, all the media that you've... All Right. so I'm going to list them. Go Stand-up on. TV, movies, radio, podcasting, online broadcasting, what's that sort of self-commissioned stuff? Print Often the germ, best way. Print journalism, publishing... What's your favourite? What's the one that connects most?
1: I like to, the reason I like doing stand-up comedy is because it feels to me very, very direct. And obviously, I've done. There's been things I've done on telly or on radio where I think, oh, that isn't quite what I meant, and I've got into possibly I've got into trouble, or even worse, it's not been funny. And like, but with stand-up comedy, I think you have a, the constant capacity to readjust what you're doing. You're in the room, and people can tell. And I think if you're coming from a good place, where you, I, I feel that people can sense, ah, you. you there is a genuineness, or if there is warmth or if there isn't you know the absence of those things are, are also felt yeah how's that taken us to ponderland though because
0: i think ponderland and big brothers big mouth which was possibly the thing that made you famous is it that certainly me?
1: was the thing that made me famous yeah. outside of my private
0: life sexy <laughs> little thing that it was um yeah well though, i think those two shows are kind of based on stand-up like ponderland stand-up from clips and big brothers big mouth you were playing to the crowd. Yeah, or it was of...
1: crowd work, wasn't it? It yeah. was like being able to be with a crowd in a way that was sort of warm and affable, which, you know, is something that obviously I used to think that, like, Michael Barrymore was the absolute master of, but sadly that did get a bit out of control eventually.
0: <laughs> no, he's been, he's well, been cleared. Michael... <laughs> he's been cleared. He's all right. No, he is. Yeah, actually is
1: completely innocent, he's isn't all right, he?
0: yeah.
1: Right, well, let's not make cheap jokes about that then.
0: <laughs> we'll cut that. <laughs> um, yeah, they didn't hear that. Uh, Ponderland, let's have a look at a clip of Ponderland.
1: Yeah, I think we marshaled the uh, team that we had pretty well to do that because it felt quite relaxed, quite natural. And like Andrew Newman, who's yeah, here he now, the show. he commissioned that. He came up with the name for it. And it was actually, like people have said that over the course of these conferences, sometimes there's, I suppose, naturally a kind of a bit of a us attitude that develops between commissioners and sort of um, private content providers. But over these, I can think of a lot of people in I've like a, Angela Jane. She was ever so lovely. Um, uh, Shane, of course, but it was at BBC. And Mark Lucy who used to be at E4. He was like an absolutely yeah. beautiful fella when I was doing Big Brother's Big Mouth. Like, so I, I, I've not particularly felt uh, no, uh, that heard, divide. When we done Ponderland, right? What I thought it was is like Jack Bales was like was very good at dadding us when he was like our dad driving yeah. the car. Dear Gareth, who's even now sort of queuing up these VTS. He like you and know. And like, there was a
0: clip researcher called John Smith. I'm always amazed that I remember his name because it's the why because it sounds like a made up yeah, pseudonym. Worst name ever. But like he was. He was really good, wasn't he? he it's was just sort of,
1: me, John Smith. Is that your real name? Where did you get that from?
0: Also, because there was In Bed With me dinner, wasn't there? And I oh, mean, like, yeah, In Bed With me dinner: It was, was sort of... I inspired it slightly, but... And I remember somebody online calling that In Bed With Medinkel. <laughs> it's <laughs> always, always funny. But, um, yeah, that was fun to do, and it wasn't... I mean, it,
1: I think you can't really underestimate the value of something that's kind of joyful and sweet. Yeah. not everything has to be sort of a big crusading attempt to bring down the, the, the government on Channel 4 tonight at 10pm. You know, like it was just a bit of a laugh, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. And uh, was, when did Hollywood happen? Was that after Ponderland, when you started...
1: That's was when I was doing something on MTV, like with like, One Leicester Square, like big Hollywood stars used to come on it. And when Adam Sandler came on it, I right took the piss, never let him say a word when I was interviewing him. And like him and his agent, Adam Bennett at the time, went, "Oh, he's good, this geezer, isn't he?" And like they took me out to America to audition, and it was just lucky that Sarah Marshall was happening at that time for getting Sarah Marshall. And I, they. That they loved improvisation. Judd Apatow films—they let the talent improvise a lot. So that thing, this you know, continuing theme of authenticity or connection or however you want to regard it, was of use to me because, as a person whose background is in stand-up comedy and like I've done a lot of acting-type stuff, when they said like you know audition in the audition when they're like, oh you can improvise here. Yeah. For me, that was like a bloody relief. That's the thing that I enjoy doing, is them little moments of truth, them little moments of connection. That is, I think, what you're always looking for. I saw, I think it was the bloke who, um, what's his name, Gary Shandling used to work with an acting coach, and that geezer said, really what we're all trying to achieve is some moment of truth and authenticity. Like when you see something on the television or something that you've worked on, you think that is what we meant, that is what we meant. And like even just that little daft Westbury Baptist church moment there, when I look at that, I think, yeah, that's what I wanted. I wanted to treat them homophobic people nicely, like they're innocuous. I wanted to treat their gay uh, fellas just like, you know, like, you know, normalise it in a context where there was obviously opposition and be frivolous and light about it to show that frivolity, lightness and humour can can, dominate or influence that. Uh, In the words of Morrissey, it's easy to laugh, it's easy to hate, it takes guts to be gentle and kind, to be sort of like, to Mm. have a kind
0: of a sweetness. And so we've... that, I mean, we've, got the, we've actually got a clip of the casting tape, I think, of Sarah Marshall, but where you can be authentic in the moment in a casting and stuff, because I, I know that you've told me like your experience of Hollywood movies is boring and sat in a trailer. So do you think like the further you get away from the actual creation, you know, the first, like basically what is like a film like months So even any sort of clever little bits you came up with, even on the set, I suppose you then, you know, you go back to your trailer, it doesn't feel immediate. Do you think that's why you didn't like it, that you weren't in contact with it? I
1: think it's possible that, like, like, talking for me personally, I obviously had to amend my attitude as talent to realise that, you know, like, if you go into it thinking, bloody hell, I'm earning really good money for doing something that's fun. And like these these bits of downtime don't make such a big deal out of it. But I think I've myself felt very driven to do things that had meaning and I was probably very, very excited to be doing those films and and like Probably felt a little disillusioned that uh, it wasn't more enjoyable, that it wasn't more of a laugh. Not to say that doing some of those Judd films and or, or subsequent films also had moments of real joy in them. Is like I feel like for me personally, I like to be involved in the process, and yeah. I suppose that's the thing that I'm looking forward to is in subsequent stuff. Thinking how can I m- 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 temper this sort of need for things to be truthful and real and authentic in a way that seems required. And it seems to be one of the themes, in fact, of this conference and this festival, truthfulness, connection. So people like, you know, that clip of that dude, Ishmael, outside Grenfell, going, fuck you, lot of media. You don't know nothing, mainstream media. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Like, now, like, a few years ago, people would watch that, and that that all sounds like David Icke, Cloud Cuckoo Land language. Now, that's a Mm. significant demographic of people that think, I don't trust media. I don't trust it. It's lying. It's operating in collaboration. So, like, so, like, whether it's simple, gleeful, joyful things that are, that have truth in them, or things that are current affairs-based, I think there is a real, there is room for this sort of sense of connection, this sense of truth. And for me, I think on a production level, that means being able to behave well and work yeah. as a member of a team. And, not be as, uh, when I was younger there was just so much vim and libido. Yeah, that,
0: you I know, sometimes you watch nasty. things and it says "Oh, the BBC are evil and they're doing this and you think I was just at a meeting there and everyone was really nice, you know that sort of... They thing. were delightful. There is a bit too much, <laughs> maybe a little bit too much that David Icke
1: Well I think because thing. if something's external to you, Matt, in it, and you're living in those com- communities, yeah. you probably feel well, I think feel people like, sense something's this? wrong, something's yeah. wrong
0: with all this, but maybe they're not, you know, they don't know what's mm. wrong. Well,
1: having now been accused of being in the Illuminati, that's really ruined the idea of those conspiracies exactly, for yeah. me. It's like, well, I'm not fucking actually in the Illuminati. How many layers of double bluff could there be? But I think it is just sort of, you know, <laughs> consensus and shared. They'd have to tell me. You if do I was have in. a
0: tattoo of the number 33, though, which that fuels I know. that. And what about when I
1: shapeshift into a lizard of an evening?
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, should we talk? Do you only wanna... for half an hour at a time, and only for her pleasure. Do you? Um, uh, do you want to uh, do you want to see a clip of one yeah, of the on, movies?
1: Well, yeah, let's have a little, little. Yeah, let's. Why so you've got not? a clip
0: of Game to the Greeks. We watched that. Or do you want to watch your audition for Sarah Marshall? Um,
1: so the clip from Sarah Marshall, that man shouted out, and yeah. we must out of authenticity. Because it's a bit more
0: authentic. Da da. Kill it! Get him out of here! <laughs> um, yeah. So you did loads of films, and at one point you were, was that hop That where you were the Easter bunny, and Arthur were like one and two in the box office, weren't they? For yeah, and I remember
1: not feeling very well at all, mate, I was very, very unhappy as a matter of fact, and that sort of like, this is where I suppose this potentially dragged us out of context, because at a time in my life where I, according to my ideas of what would make me happy when I was a little kid. When that stuff was actually happening, I remember feeling deliriously disconnected and unhappy. Yeah. Like, oh, this well, is I remember sort of when
0: good. you did telly, or what you wanted to be a movie star, then you did, move, you know, it was always like, oh, I want to do that now, but I want to do those kind of movies. It was always sort of a...
1: Constant, insatiable a lust.
0: Of, yeah. Lust for glory. And then once you've been... Once you're a big Hollywood movie star, there's, I mean, in terms of media, there's nowhere else to go, really, unless you wanted to be, I don't know... Go on. An astronaut. Ah. <laughs> um, so you sort of reached the top of that, and then... As far as I feel when, that I could go, yes. Yeah. And, uh, but then you came back, and The Trues was the next sort of big splash that you made, really, wasn't it? And that was completely... I mean, how did that come about? Me and Gareth, who's
1: over there, said, like, isn't it funny, like, it was sort of a bit of a return to just read things out of the newspaper, and Gareth's got a fan, it seems. Did you hear that? (laughs) Gareth, you should meet that fan, because this could be the beginning of something magnificent for you in your personal life. He he doesn't look very happy about that. I do apologise. Sometimes this quest for authenticity is embarrassing, Gareth. (laughs) Um... Yeah, well, again, I just thought it would be like, I wanted to do something that was very, very direct and that didn't have any sort of, like, that had the fewer layers of subterfuge, the fewer layers of camouflage, the fewer layers of production in this instance, I thought the more I would enjoy it. And it sort of proved to be true because it was meant to be very, very light and funny thing the truth, just say, look, this is how this is reported, but don't you think it probably just means that? It was yeah. a comedic device, really. It was commentary. It was like meant to be sort of a light hearted commentary, but it kind of escalated, I
0: think. It escalated. It was like, at one point, in the list of, sort of places where people got their news, it was like number seven or something at one point. Quite right. For a certain demographic, it was really that's where they got their news, right? This it? is
1: because, then this may be an important point, I don't know, and sometimes once in a while, inadvertently, a, a salient point emerges, like that people are wanting something that feels true. The language of politics has been stripped of emotion. People don't connect anymore. They sense that this is a veneer. They sense that people aren't being honest. One of the things, again, to reference Grenfell, because it seems to be this kind of physical cenotaph, this monument to something that's dying, is that when the people look for infrastructure, they found there's no one there. There's no infrastructure. Yeah. This whole thing's been held up. It is indeed a facade, a flaming facade. And it, so much revelation happened in that. This is how poor people are regarded. This is how things are funded. This is what the infrastructure yeah. is. It, it became like a sort of, a, a, sort of a, a visible sort of typhoon of kind of a conflagration of all that was wrong. Now, I suppose the thing with the truth is obviously I'm not a person that's been not had even a, a university education. But what I think I intuited was there's too much bollocks, too much bullshit and people wanted the feeling. And you can see that throughout politics, like, you know, whether it's Brexit or Trump, people aren't going, you know, the reason I want Donald Trump is this policy or that policy. It's like it's a a carbuncle bursting. It's rage. It's but there is a, beneath the veneer of the conscious mind is the unconscious mind. So much yearning is not articulated. So if there is some avatar of anger, people will attach to it.
0: Yeah, but then the actual political establishment, which you, I suppose, are, you know, indirect, opposition to, they sort of came to... you know like Miliband, you know, how did that happen? Like, Adam like,
1: Curtis was involved in that, and I'm a big fan of Adam Curtis because I think he's a marvellous storyteller and a sort of a brilliant, brilliant documentary maker, and he chooses narratives, and he chooses wonderful stories to tell, and, like, again, he sort of was kind of autodidact. I really enjoy his work. He, like, he sort of said he had connections within like the Labour Party and like, and like, and, and other people, mates of mine sort of like, I remember like two people influenced me into doing that thing with Ed Miliband, which I didn't sort of really think I, you know, I didn't really want to do it because I enjoyed the kind of position of there is no real Alternative. Neither yeah. of these parties are offering viable alternatives. I was enjoying that position, but again, I think I was getting a little bit giddy on the euphoria of the attention. It was a bit much, and I wasn't—you know—it was really it was only me and Gareth. I wasn't backed by a production team. I wasn't—I didn't have people going, hey, "Russell, this might go a bit fucking far now, mate." Well, that's the
0: thing. If that was on telly, then most of the stuff you said wouldn't have got past the lawyers, would that's it? That's true. A lot of the stuff about, yeah, some of the accusations were
1: unforgivable. No, but like, so sort of, no, I mean, but again, there would have be been the support, let alone the, the legality. I mean, just
0: literally, like the balance. we run up to an election all that stuff. Certainly, certainly
1: that's true but well, the, the things that the reason that I did it was because on one hand my mate James said his brother is on that disability fund and if like if the if the Labour Party get in they'll continue that fund if the Tories get in they'll cut that fund and I was like okay that was one thing that yeah. sort of stayed in my mind and then you said Matthew the country's going Don't so mental me. that if you say vote Labour it might actually make a difference and I went oh my god oh I my like god. this idea and then before we knew it, Ed Miliband was in meow, standing by the cat.
0: So we look, we've got a clip of that. I think we oh have yeah, let's
1: have a little look at that moment, yeah, you surely.
0: Believe it actually happened. Hmm. And he so, went on to massive success, that guy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I took that plucky youngster.
0: Um, that was mental, wasn't
1: it? It was a bit mad, Matt, and I think it sort of shows you like, the, the potential. But like, what I'm, when I watched that, I think, I oh, that could have done with an edit. That could." Have, I mean, that's, I think what there is a, a legitimately now is the opportunity and, and the necessity for various media to be simultaneously utilized. So who cut utilised. the, the Labour Party? Cut that? No, don't be fucking ridiculous. I would not let them cut that. No, <laughs> gal cut it. Gareth cut it.
0: But like, um, did right. they have to OK it? Was there some sort of? No, there or?
1: was loads of mad admin that went round. Secret Service came round my ass, There was armoured cars outside in the bloody street. It was like amazing it was mental that was going on it felt sort of topsy-turvy you know so like uh, it felt like the world that's happened to you quite
0: like there's you know like there's been it keeps happening or there's times when it just seems like even just to be your friend feels a bit mental you know Like the world's gone a bit yes like questions asked in parliament and yeah it's really weird isn't it Matthew do you think that's because you're you're searching for a connection and then when you suddenly hit one well, say for
1: example that Paxman moment when I was on that, what I realised is that it's like sometimes in, a, in the role of communicator or entertainer or performer or whatever you are, it might, you may resonate with what people are feeling. That's what happened on that Paxman interview is I said stuff that lots of people were feeling and that's what is it's important to remember that you speak for them not just to them, it's not didactic. The problem I had was, is because I have like, so much of what's in the mix with me is like performer power and ego, that I start thinking, fucking hell, and I get inflated and carried away. So it's like, it's important for me, in fact, to be in a position where I'm like, you know, where there is good collaboration. I'm a sort of, I'm a good individualistic performer, I think, but I think I do need good teams of people around me. You've been very, very good over the years. You have been a person that's pointed stuff out. I remember around Saxgate, you going, I know what happened to you, Russell, you in your head when you were leaving that message, just thought it was Manuel in a like, little white jacket holding a silver platter. That's the image I had in my head, I bought up by television, Forty Towers, Blackadder, falls and Horses, them things were like babysitters yes. for me, you know, so like, for it to all sort of bleed in and out of reality, it feels kind of extraordinary, it feels yeah. kind of extraordinary. But like, I suppose, yes, I suppose what I'm getting is this as this goes, even this interview, Matthew, as it goes on, I start thinking yeah. what's required is ways of working together collaboratively where people are allowed to do their jobs properly, whether it's commissioners or producers or writers, where we come together with a good consensus and we're not continually thinking, well, what is it that they want? What is it that they want? But we sort of trust ourselves a little bit. So this is what I really, really feel. And there's always going to be room for Compromise and collaboration and pr- producing because left to, for example, m- you know, like I think that I'm a, a, a different guy now that I am a father and now that I'm in a different position and now that I don't take drugs and now that I don't sleep with everybody that I meet. It's like I'm an easier person to. but like but but what but like, I think what we have to learn to recognize is this person has this ability that we can use it in that way and not to always have some external referent that we try to make it look like I remember with that when I was not when I was doing a a US talk show I didn't know properly what I was doing and I watched as the external imposition of cliche was placed on top of the talk show but it was my fault because I didn't have a clear enough vision of what it was I wanted to do and I didn't have sufficient I didn't put enough work into it It as well, you know, I didn't have spend enough time with people collaborating. So it's like, there, yeah, this is it, this is it. And when we all see brilliant TV shows, whether it's off of like Charlie Brooker or like you know, sort of like say Stranger Things or whatever, you feel like, oh, this is people that are pursuing a line. Yeah. They've achieved. I think we vision. had good
0: opportunities before, because pe- I remember people saying like, oh we want you on the channel. What do you want to do? Instead of us going like, this is what we want to do, having a vision and then going. So like, we sort of fell into things and did all right at them. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I remember that feeling of there was a time where people just wanted you to do something, so it was, It was mental, wasn't it? It was a different type of commission into the normal type, where you're asking for something. They were asking us.
1: It needs to be sort of a collaborative process, I think, going forward, because we do want to do some more telly. That's why we've come here, isn't it, mate? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> right, now, like some people, done some, some people done some surveys, right, this is a really good thing, you'll love this, Matthew, like, like, oh, by the way, did you enjoy your biscuits from the Hare Krishnas? The Hare Krishnas put biscuits on each chair, did you enjoy them? Have you eaten your Hare Krishna biscuits? Those of you that have eaten your Hare Krishna biscuit, you should be starting to feel drowsy about now. <laughs>
0: You're
1: going to be a lot more malleable when it comes to our suggestions for shows we're pitching in the lift. <laughs>
0: Yes, that sounds like a brilliant idea. I'll be on top shall of we, a van. Shall I we, am television. Should we wrap up the theme, though? I well, mean, do you
1: want to wrap up a theme? Well, the, well all More
0: right. authentic. There it is.
1: <laughs> That's your wrap up. A statement, you're authentic.
0: I can't leave it. It's like an essay. We've got a conclusion. No, like all people,
1: like all human beings, we are complex, diverse, and sometimes conflicting ideas. Talented person, and in the past, very difficult to work with. But Russell Brand, you're authentic. Worried about being more authentic? Employ old Russ. (laughs) (laughs)
0: There you go. (laughs) And you, you're good. Thanks, mate. (laughs) Thank you. Have that corner of the room burned. Should we do a sex survey then?
1: Well, no, it's not just a sex survey. There's like, when, when you like, come here, you could fill in a survey. Lots of people did it, and like, there's some interesting stuff that people are willing to admit to. And like, what's interesting about this is these are people that work in media, and surely if someone asks you to fill in a survey, you've got to know there's a sting in the tail. You've got to know if there's a rifle on the wall in Act 1 by Act 3. And here is Act 3. I went to... A, oh, where's David Henry? David Henry, do you remember what you put David under moment most ashamed of? Do you want to say it out loud, what you're most ashamed of? And say what your job is as well, so we have some context for you. This is a professional situation. A freelance producer. uh, Freelance, unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) After this, definitely. Um, I got invited to a Saints and Sinners party and I went as a Nazi officer. Was it just a general Nazi or a particular Nazi? I don't know. But it was a very smart generic. uniform. And uh, the person whose birthday it was was Jewish. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, what you've actually done up. there, mate, but he's lowered wait. the tone. Get the mic off him. But wait. No, he misjudged it. <laughs> but Thank he... God it's you that's fucked up this conference, not me for a change. <laughs> but he did love it. He did love it. Yeah, he said it was the best uniform. The Jewish people have been sustained by their sense of humour, but you're not making it any easier. Right. Who else have we got here? Paul Humphrey's most embarrassing sex memory. Where are you, Paul? (laughs) Why would you identify yourself when I've said your name and said that the category is most embarrassing sex memory? Just says, yeah, here. just nominates himself. They're lining up, lining up to be shot, Matthew. What did he say? Most embarrassing sex memory, catching crabs from a one night stand, then passing them on to another it says girl, but you should say woman, you sexist pig. Another woman, two weeks later, who eventually became my wife. Oh. He's just said it at a conference. What's your job? Oh, You sat at the back, I'm guessing... Did you work in television? You work for the BBC? What a fine story that was, sir. Brave, bold, authentic, really understood the theme. Good stuff. Anyone else that we can... What do you think, Matthew?
0: No, I'll do a bit more. I like... Um... Well,
1: do more of this stuff. I'm a bit hungry. I've come over all hungry now. Hello, are you all all right? Don't be scared. It's just because I'm moving about and that. Hello. What are you, some sort of handsome lad? What do you do? You're a comedian. Oh, you're so sweet. Look at you. You're lovely. Stand up so I can feel your body. See, it's nice. You, are you having a, how come you're at this conference? Um, for I did a lecture. Did it go well? Yeah, yeah, I got a lot of free stuff, so it's good. Well... <laughs> It's a lovely conference. What's your name, mate? Uh, Hamza. Hamza. Well done, mate. Well done. Nice one, Stan. Well done. Thanks for coming here. Who else can I victimise? Ah. See, I wish this was 2006, mate, in this very room, when I no, stalked I the corridors then. Very no, different relationship with the audience. Like our man up the
0: back, spreading crabs left well, and about right. the person who's, who's uh, snapped their banjo string? I've always worried about that.
1: Yes, well, well, perhaps you'd like to cover this. Who was it that snapped Saul, their banjo Saul string? Maurice Brennan. Sorry, Saul? 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 a lot of people are up the back. It's, it's, oh, it's no, good. it's yes, he's up there. There's a natural it's hierarchy crazy. where the perverts have gravitated towards the back of the conference centre. You're right, Saul. What happened when you snapped the universally understood banjo string? <laughs> You're not in court, mate. We were having intercourse. (laughs) Yeah? Go on. You answered a phone call. What's wrong with him, Matthew? An animal. Bad manners. Oh my God, this story! Why are you saying these things? (laughs) Human beings, you see, you look at human beings and you think you're normal. In a minute we'll be back in the corridors, you'll see that man. And you'll remember the moment he talked about genital lubrication. Unprompted, unnecessarily human beings in all their mucus-free madness. What's wrong with us? What's going to happen to our species? Will we ever be clean again? Will we ever be free again? Is there enough water in the world to wash our hands clean of the blood of this conference? Well done, sir. Thank you for your contribution. In a way, the point of this part of the show is to demonstrate that beneath the veneer of ordinariness lurks a kind of madness and oddness and for, for me to be able to do some cheap shots around sex, right, Matt? Great.
0: I love that. I'm for- a bit worried, though, because I thought that was a myth. about. The The banjo banjo string?
1: string. No, it happens, mate. The banjo string can snap, apparently. There's your expert witness up the back. He started off sort of saying we were having intercourse, and before we know it, he was the most disgusting man in the room. And what a room! (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) So, what? look, mate, the clock there says 58 minutes. Now, to show how producible we are, why don't we wrap up in good time? Because I often find, no matter how funny you think you are, people would rather just fucking wander off. (laughs) 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 Matt, I think you've done a great job of interviewing me. Matt Morgan, ladies and gentlemen! (laughs) Writer of The Mimic, a new Spencer Jones show. What's that going to be
0: called? Uh, Mr. Winner. Watch BBC, out for that, September Mr. Winners. 8th.
1: That'll be good, Spencer Jones. Great Mr. great Jones, comic. Yep. What else should we say? Yeah. Anything else? I feel like we've done a great job. Should we leave it on a relative high, or should we wait till I do something that's absolutely fucking mental? No, let's leave on let's a get high. get out on a high.
0: Thank you, everyone. Thank Enjoy you. the rest of your conference. Thanks for having us. <laughs>